0: It's your time to ed up with America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp experience where we make education your business. This is ed-up legal with your host, Patty Roberts. She's Dean at St. Mary's school of law, and she's going to be leading conversations about legal education in today's world. Now let's hear from your host, Patty Roberts.
1: Welcome to Ed Up Legal. This is Patty Roberts from St. Mary's University School of Law. And today I am talking with Elizabeth Steele Hutchison from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And she goes by Elizabeth Steele for the work that we're going to talk about. And I'm so delighted to have you as a guest.
0: Thank you so much, Dean Roberts. I am delighted to be here.
1: Oh, I'm really thrilled. We've been having so much fun um, pre-recording that <laughs> that we've we kind of cut into our recording time, but um, but I'm, I've already learned so much. So we're going to have to share some of that with the listeners. I was interested in having you as a guest, and I found uh, you on LinkedIn. And I'm very glad because you are doing something, I think, that has arisen from the pandemic, but we all could benefit from moving forward. And that is, you're working to not only be a pedagogical coach, but a virtual presence coach. You're teaching effective online practices, but I think you're taking it so much further. And so tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing, not only as faculty specialist at the Center for Teaching Excellence, but also in your work with public schools and law schools and law firms. I would be happy to do that.
0: Um, so in my my day job, which is uh, the best job I've ever had, I'm a pedagogical coach uh, for instructors here at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And so, you know, that involves classroom observations of in-person and face-to-face classes, meeting with students and conducting um, small group instructional diagnoses, um, and also providing professional development to our instructors. So that's kind of my day job. <laughs> um, that's a
1: big day job.
0: It's a big day job. And um, honestly, it's, I work with a great, great team here. I'm very, I'm very fortunate. My passion project, which developed during the pandemic, is I'm helping folks, primarily educators and attorneys, to communicate more effectively on video. And that has taken on a bit of a life of its own. So in terms of being, you know, I provide CLE or continuing legal education opportunities. People bring me in to kind of do, you know, firm-wide trainings. I work with um, a large public school system with their secondary um, educators, and it's secondary school educators, and it's a ton of fun.
1: Well, if people could see you the way I can virtually, you have lovely paintings in the background and the lamp and a plant and shelves that have really cool, visually interesting things on them. And you're dressed in some bright colors. So it's terrific what you've done and I, <laughs> I think you we can all learn from it. So I'm going to ask you first for some, um, some tips, even though people can't see how impressive you are virtually right now, I would love for you to share with our listeners what kinds of things they should think about when they are gonna be presenting online or teaching
0: online as far as the visual appeal goes. Absolutely, and so I'm gonna answer your question in a kind of a funny way. I would say (laughs) that the visual is important. Impressions absolutely matter, right? People make very lightning fast, decisions and judgments of whether or not we're credible, know, trustworthy, likable, all of those things. But actually we were just uh, before we started recording, we talked about sound and the importance of audio quality. and in fact, um, if you had to um, make a choice, if you were you were forced to concentrate just one or the other, I would recommend, Focusing on improving your audio quality because people are much more likely to put up with a bad video if the audio quality is good, right? Podcasts are, are popular for a reason. Right? People can feel like connected to each other through their voices um, by using their voices. And then secondarily, yes, you want to make sure that you're, you're kind of on brand for the message that you have. So I am sitting now in my corner of my office, and I have these beautiful oil paintings by Darla Myers, an artist in the Pacific Northwest, and I do have have a lamp and my, you know, my, my faux plant from target
1: (laughs) and all of these (laughs) things, uh, my
0: target plant and all of these things that really are, it's, it's curated, right? I want to, I want my background to kind of complete my message and kind of look like a a, a set. And so I do, I, you know, I help attorneys set up their sets, their zoom sets, the same um, for folks who are about to, for example, to record a semester versus uh, worth of classes. And there's some things that you wanna keep in mind. And I think primarily you wanna make sure that you are the focus of your video. (laughs) So you don't wanna, I would like to keep backgrounds in the background. Um, For example, one thing um, that I see many lawyers um, do is we, um, because we are often surrounded by books, we will have books in our shot. Um, But if the titles are legible, then our viewers are reading them. Interesting. And because right?
1: right, so, I would totally do
0: that I we all wait. do
1: <laughs> <laughs> yours are kind of a little blurry and in the background. Right? Yeah. yeah okay so
0: th- these yeah. are just the types of things that we we, we are, we are, we are, we are vis- we're visual consumers we spend tons of our time watching other folks and we are really good at it picking up cues um and so yeah that's that's I thank you for saying that though I, I'm my little space my little corner makes me happy it's a very
1: happy space. It inspires some joy with the person that you are connecting with. I have to laugh too because you're mentioning you don't want people to read things, but the one thing you absolutely can read is your little plaque that says A plus on the <laughs> shelf. And I think you know that's that was a difference to have. You know, hey, I'm a plus, or hey, it's,
0: a+. it's it reads A plus teacher, and it's oh. a gift. It's a gift, and which makes me very happy. And so it stays. It stays. It stays legible. That's great.
1: It's, it's the only thing is. to take from it is A plus. That's always the highest grade. So we were talking about audio and I mentioned that I wanted to know, you know, what you use for your, your microphone, your speakers, because your, your voice sounds so rich. There's just like a resonating tone. It's, it's pleasant. It's easy to listen to. And so I'd love for you to demonstrate for our listeners, what you did for me.
0: Absolutely. So right now um, I'm wearing a Jabra Evolve headset, and I think I probably bought it off Amazon for less than $150. And I um, am a big fan of my webcam, which is a Logitech Brio. Right now I'm using the microphone in my headset, but I'm going to toggle in Zoom um, to my Logitech Brio real microphone. So I've introduced a lot of distance, literally the physical distance between my mouth, right? And the microphone. And so I hope that you can kind of hear that. I feel like I'm administering. It's
1: like like tinny and like you're in an echo chamber. Yeah. It's really not pleasant. So if I'm now going to
0: talk back to my Jabra, which is kind of my go-to, but I have experiment with tons of tech. So, you know, I, I have a, for example, I think I have a thirty-five-dollar Logitech headset that I routinely recommend to folks on a budget. It, ha- it you know, it's maybe not quite as resonant or effective as the Jabra, but it gets the job done. And so, I, you know, I recommend to folks to make investments in how they sound for their students, for their listeners. That's really where. And you may even just notice it in your own listening, right? Like, you know, how many of us will put up with static radio signals? Like very, very few of us, right? The minute that we, we begin to hear that kind of crackle and pop, we are, you know, you're done, on to, yeah. you're done.
1: So I have to say I'm a little self-conscious because <laughs> You are a specialist in backgrounds and sound. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I am like a babe in the woods when it comes to that.
0: So you are in your, what you you have produced more than 70 episodes of your, of your podcast. And they all sound you look, mediocre. <laughs> you look fantastic. I think the key too is connection, right? So, I mean, what I've enjoyed about our conversation so far, Dean Roberts, is just the I mean the ease the laughter the connection that's where it's at you know and folks yeah. you know you know whether or not you you know make tiny adjustments here or there I think the key is um, the conversation so thanks for having me oh, sorry I'm just, just so keep something right now
1: you have to stop calling me Dean Roberts so I tell people the only people who can call me Dean Roberts are my students and that's really just because I think they kind of have to till they leave. <laughs> but, um, Patty, then. <laughs> so you were on the east coast for your undergraduate experience and uh, i think you grew up spent most of your life there and then went to yale law school so obviously also on the east coast but then you ended up in hawaii tell us a little bit about what brought you back to hawaii
0: or to sure sure so i um my mother uh was uh lived in hawaii until she was five um, and then her married uh, her, her mother um, married someone in the uh, merchant marine. And so they t- traveled around, uh, but mostly the continental, uh, the lower 48. Um, I will say that I grew up in Maryland, in College Park, Maryland. I went to Carleton College in Minnesota and then uh, came back to Washington, DC to work and then went on to law school. And I, you know, I fell in love with a guy and it didn't work out. <laughs> I kind of ran away from home uh, on a family vacation to Hawaii and never returned. That's a true story. That's a true story. Uh, That
1: sounds pretty awesome. You know, usually you hear, and I ended up moving to this place because of a guy or girl or whatever love made Mm -hmm. me do it. But, you know, it was the lack of that love.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was the broken heart. It was the broken heart. (laughs) Paradise. It, (laughs) It did. It took me to paradise. And I have been living, you know, it's been a very, um, there's a like kind of a urban myth, you know, that people, you know, get rock fever after living um, in the islands for three months and are gone, you know. And I, I feel like I am quite an old timer now, having been here 16, 17 years. I was able to, you know, my family has followed me here, which is lovely. So my 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 parents, who I call the aged P, the aged P, live, um, you know, just a few minutes away, uh, and it's 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 really been a, a lovely adventure. But yeah, thanks for asking.
1: That's great. I'm glad that you're you're happy there, and you know you didn't start as a faculty specialist or a pedagogical coach at the University of Hawaii. You were uh, the admissions director and director of special projects. So, how did you find those experiences, and maybe speak to how you think admissions and some of the things we're talking about with online and virtual connections be impacted in legal education uh, as oh, great our transition.
0: Well, let me I, um, and please keep me on task. If I if I if I, <laughs> if I don't come back to it, I will answer first that when uh, one of the first jobs I had um, working at the University of Hawaii was as a lecturer in women's studies, and so I taught courses in constitutional law. Um, and uh, also uh, courses that had to do with uh, women and madness. and it was that is my passion um, is teaching classroom teaching and I was one of our first online um, instructors as well uh, and then I crossed paths with our then uh, dean Avi Soifer at the William S. Richardson School of Law who was an, just an extraordinary person and he kind of coaxed me over to join the law school initially as the director of special projects working in the dean's office working closely with him on things that um, were priorities uh, during his deanship his long and successful deanship he's a legend he, right he he's oh, I mean and such a such a sweetheart I um, just saw him last week I <laughs> love 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 Avi uh, and we it came to be that it came to pass that our admissions um, director position opened and uh, it was an opportunity to move our our then paper admissions process online and that I perked up that I'm really interested in kind of making change and improving systems. And so that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And that was a great adventure. I did that for 11 or 12 years. Loved my colleagues, the students, the folks you had met. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just heartwarming work. Um, but I realized that I had kind of taken on, I've taken, stepped out of my teaching path for what I thought would be just a stint, you know, a quick jaunt and, and, and it turned out to be, you know, a, a career <laughs> So at the end of that, I thought, you know, I want to go back to the classroom. And, yeah. um, I ended up coming back to the center for teaching excellence here, um, where I had been an affiliate faculty member for 14 years. So it's really like coming, it's coming to a different home. Um, I'm so lucky to just be across the street from my former colleagues at the law school and, um. And now I get to do this work, which is, you know, helping, you know, it's across all these disciplines. Like in a given week, I might be, you know, in a, a, a biology dissection lab, a Chinese acting workshop, you know, a Native Hawaiian language course, you know. Really oh, my looking.
1: goodness. Yeah. It's the
0: best job ever. I mean, it's, it's the best job ever, ever. I've been getting to observe people who are interested in, um, you know, being more effective teachers. It's just great. It's great.
1: Well, I'm going to have to argue with you because I think the best job ever is being the St. Mary's law school dean, but we can, we can have that <laughs> argument enough, <laughs> offline, um, but that's really exciting. And, um, and i love to hear, you know, so many of us end up in our positions. And I think as students look at us and as models, they're like, oh yeah, she must have always wanted to be a dean or she must have always wanted to do this or, but the circuitous paths, I think, are important for our students to recognize that you have to be open to maybe what you're you're called to do, or what people call you to do, or um, where your interests lie, or where the need is. You know, you you had a pandemic that opened up this whole new world to you, so um, it's really exciting. And I feel like as a, a clinician, when I was at William and Mary, I was a clinician and. And, you know, in legal education, you have different categories of faculty. I would be remiss if I did not note that in 2017, you became the first faculty specialist granted tenure in the history of the law school. That is a ceiling that you absolutely broke.
0: And good for you. Thank you. Thank you. It was um... As you, I, I, what I, what I hope is that this is really changing everywhere. I mean, your deanship is is evidence of this. I think kind of really moving away from this caste system, this idea that you know somehow our worth and our ability to contribute is somehow limited by you know the you know our hiring status. I was yes, I was promoted to full faculty specialist, and then um, I was I earned tenure at the university. It was wonderful to be rewarded. I mean, it really, it's your colleagues saying we value, you. we know you, wow. and we like you. <laughs> we value you. <laughs> you know, I when um, when COVID and the pandemic hit, it was very unusual. I was asked to chair our faculty online readiness committee for our COVID task force. Right, That's huge. And, yeah, right. I'm not a pod- I'm not. You know, I I have you know deep teaching experience. It was not at the law school, but I was one of the few folks who had taught, taken, and taught successfully online. And it was a pleasure, literally a career highlight. It was just being able to kind of show up as more of myself in a a different way. And we put together, um, our committee was amazing, and we put together really wonderful offerings um, for our faculty, as I know that you did at St. Mary's, to get folks kind of ready for the, this new challenge. And I think, I think a lot of us are looking around and thinking about how differently our teaching has changed and frankly you know in in a lot of cases for the better
1: yeah i think that's right um i can take no credit whatsoever here but our academic technology center had an extraordinary 12-week course that was online for students or for for students they were students for our faculty to learn as students how to be effective online teachers and as part of that program, they needed to develop a course. You know, each stage of the of the course development was part of their assignments for this 12-week course. Only they truncated it into five weeks because, oh my gosh, there's a pandemic and we have to teach online this fall. So our faculty was incredible to the last one of them, they were willing to do that in the first summer of the pandemic. There was no extra compensation. There was no course relief, nothing like that. It was just, we need to do this for our students. And they did. And our academic technology department was extraordinary because of course they, like you were doing it for the whole campus. So, you know, talk
0: about a busy, (laughs) busy summer for everyone. Oh my goodness you know, I don't know how we slept that summer, you know, and folks took it so seriously. I mean, I think that's really what made it successful. I mean, people were like, look, this is an emergency and we're Mm going to have to change the way we've been delivering the same, you know, material for decades, scores. Since the hundreds of (laughs) years. Exactly. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly.
1: So you are doing really cool work. And I know that uh, in addition to helping um, your university through the Center for Teaching Excellence, that law firms hire you and law schools, you give CLEs and top 25 public school system in the U.S. um, has you training their teachers. But you mentioned when we were first talking that You really like to focus on people of color exemplars and, you know, diversity in legal education, diversity among faculty, diversity generally, inclusiveness, belonging has been such a a priority these last couple of years and it continues to be. So tell me how that shows up in your work and how we can help it to show up in
0: our work. Thank you. um thank you for the question patty i I became aware of my own reactions um, as a person of color, to, for example, you know, when I, candidates would come in to give a job talk, and I started looking at the visual images that they incorporated, uh, typically in a PowerPoint or Google slide. And I often thought about how there was a mismatch between our audience right we have, we are arguably the most diverse law school in the in the country with well, the William Massachusetts School of Law and how um what kind of visual representations people would choose um to to communicate so for example you know clip art overwhelmingly white you know um you know it, you know and i think and that if there's 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 lots of reasons for stock photos to be overwhelmingly white for you know and i um looked at my own PowerPoints, you know, as an instructor and um, as an admissions director who around the country giving PowerPoints and thought, you know, wait a minute, like, you know, representation, I mean, I know representation matters, but how am I doing it myself, right? And so I sat down and I just kind of challenged myself and I said, you know, can I do what I do, kind of broadcasting or promoting the diversity I want to see in the world? Can I kind of create, right? Like, how powerful is it? Um, And so I, have made it kind of like a, I'll, I want to say like a, it's a passion, it's a, it's an obsession, <laughs> a bit to kind of think how can I lift people up and give people attention um, that I think are worthy, often overlooked, um, and introduce them to new audiences, to new potential admirers. And so I think that's very similar to the work that you're doing, Patty, at, at you know, here on this podcast, right? Kind of finding people, you know, and c- connecting with them. And so, you know. Some folks have said to me after they're, you know, done with the CLE will say, oh my gosh, I've never, I've never seen a PowerPoint of people who'd look just like me. Like the the whole, and it was done and I typically don't mention it. It just kind of is, you know, it is kind of an extension of who I am. Um, But I love that. I'm also kind of saying, yeah, that's right. And, you know, when you think about, you know, the, the best of the business who are doing this, you know, our, our expert witnesses, our our, our legal commentators, our, you know, like, look at all the fantastic attorneys of color, right, law faculty of color, deans of color who are doing this work. And so, you know, it's, um, it's not for everyone, but I'm not for everyone. And you know, I think it's kind of a one of the things that has happened over the last couple of years is we um, have all done a little bit of soul searching, you know, and trying to figure out kind of what what works for us, who we are, how do we lead with that? And so I am thrilled that um, that aspect of what I do has been uh, really richly rewarded. People want more of that, um, and you know, I'm happy to do it. It's, it's fun for me.
1: It's really so interesting. I'd like to say I've thought a lot about this, or it occurred to me before in PowerPoint presentations, but it hasn't, and I'm glad that you have um, pointed that out. That's something that I certainly will share here. Um, Representation matters so much, and I hear that again and again from my students, and of course we think about it as far as speakers and panels and faculty. But how about those visual representations? I I applaud you for raising that. I know just two examples this past year that have really stuck with me um, are just recently the Band-Aids that are in the color of people's skin that are other than Caucasian, right? That's, it seems like such a no-brainer, but oh my gosh, we never had that before. And then the the medical diagrams with the... um, Fetuses of color that people are like, wow! I never saw this before, and I'm embarrassed that you know it had never occurred to me before. But I'm so glad it has occurred to some people who are making a difference and demonstrating how powerful those images can be.
0: We we are all works in progress. I mean, we are, and I I, I I I want to kind of sh- to honor you and say, you know, I have these moments myself. So I'll share one in this in the last um, year. Disney was planning a kind of real action reboot of um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And Peter Dinklage, who is a little person and an extraordinary actor, um, was asked in a podcast interview about what he thought of Disney, um, had just decided they were gonna have a, a Latinx uh, Snow White. And he was like, why are we doing Snow White? Like, like, let's just stop right there. Like, why are we telling the story of like, you know, of dwarves living in a cave, right? I mean, like, and when he, it was for me, it just stopped me in my tracks because he had been able to identify and communicate something. Talk about like a blind spot. I had never even considered, you know, I mean, it was such a kind of a, you know, this, that very brutal story had been so normalized. Right. That yeah. I had never considered it. And it took someone's lived experience who, sh- who bravely shared that experience to completely open my eyes to this, to this, to this. And so we all work, walk, walk, walk through life. I think the question is not kind of, you know, um, you know, if we have these blind spots, we all have them. It's how, it's how we respond to them. Right. Yeah. We, really, that's like the, the, the test of our kind of good, what I call good personness, you know, because that's and I mean, goodness knows we are all we're all in it. I mean, I serve on our I'm a commissioner on our um, university commission on racism and bias, and I work in um, I'm a member of the diversity inclusion committee for the, uh, the CLE, American CLE Association. I mean, this it's we're all coming to coming to grips with, you know, an incredibly racist country history, right? And all of that, right, is coming up in our, I mean, if, if we're doing it right, it's coming up in our classes and our conversations mm-hmm. and it's challenging our friendships, right? It's really making us think about about ourselves differently. And I am I am with you in, that, <laughs> in, in being lifelong learners. Um, yes, yeah.
1: yes. Well, that's been a, a huge benefit to me has been coming to our Hispanic serving institution. We have a majority Latina uh, or Latinx and Hispanic population here. Our students are amazing. I said Latina first because I have this incredible group of female Latina students who are working with us to put on a Latina Institute uh, this summer. We're so excited because last summer, um, one of our students who had, was finishing up her first year realized how great it was to be around other Latinas who were also going through law school. But she realized she had felt those kinds of uh, mentors, or she had experienced those kinds of mentors and had seen those kinds of role models because she had worked with MALDEF. And they had, you know, obviously people who were, some people who were um, Latina or Hispanic. And so she decided to have a virtual boot camp for those law students who were coming into law school, uh, Latina law students. And she hoped there'd be like, you know, 20 people. There were like 250 people. And they said, we love the sense of community. We would like to really explore, you know, further programming and that kind of thing. And when we, she and I were talking recently, Brianna Chapa, a rising third year here, and the editor, future editor-in-chief of our scholar journal, um, Gender and Race She mentioned how she realizes how fortunate she is that she is at a majority Hispanic serving institution because she has people around her all the time that make make her feel like she belongs and she's supported, but that she recognizes that's not like that everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to to build that sort of network among not only potential law students who are uh, Latina, but also current law students and then those in practice and on the bench. It's been exciting but it's really opened my eyes in a way that as a member
0: of a majority uh, racial group then you don't you don't see um, all the time. Well isn't it amazing how you know just the fact that this is a virtual boot camp right mm-hmm. that you we are now able to bring people together bring people to the table from all over the country and the world to talk about things that are important to us. I think that's one of the greatest takeaways. I mean, like now we can have, you know, Supreme Court justices kind of pop in to our classes, right? To talk about, (laughs) I mean, this is, I I think that there's so so much excitement. We've gained so much access just in the last few years as legal educators, just to really, to identify, you know, problems and then figure out how to solve for them, creating networks and communities that literally couldn't have existed, right, but Mm -hmm. for our response to this global pandemic. So wow, hats off.
1: And you have said it, access is the biggest word for me. I mean, I think not only um, that's enabled us to to build more communities, as you talked about, um, but also with our online JD that you and I were talking about, our part-time online JD, that will have its inaugural class in August. And then um, all of the hybrid JDs that are out there, uh, all of the continuing ed that any of us can do online now, it's really creating incredible access opportunities for greater education for everyone. Um, As long as we also address, of course, the technology deserts, and, you know, those people who don't have a Jabra or a webcam, yes. kind of thing. So there's still work yes. to do there for sure. But um, before we conclude, I wonder if you could share how you think um, all of these changes will impact the evolution of legal education in the coming decade. Because as we talked about, it, it's it we probably move forward ten years in two years, but there are still You know, we're still a more traditional education model despite that.
0: So where do you see us going in the next 10 years? Oh, I love this question. It's something I think about a ton. And so thank you so much for having me here to talk about it. I think many of our colleagues have done great work kind of pivoting to remote delivery. Um, that's like the first step. So, you know, here we are, we moved from the lecture hall to now I'm lecturing from the corner of my well-appointed office, <laughs> but I'm still the sage on the stage. I'm still the, you know, I'm, you know, I'm still using um, uh, teaching methods and practices that I've used, you know, for, the, for decades. Um, and I think, What's really interesting, and where I think the future is going to be, is moving to, from kind of this I, kind of synchronous remote lecture, where we all kind of put our headphones in and we listen, to educational ex- um, experiences that are much more interactive, real discussions, using the tools that are now newly available to us. So having mm-hmm. f- students work simultaneously on documents, um, you know, going into breakout rooms to you know get, make arguments like this, that really. Recreating a lot of what um, law practice work looks like now. Right. And so I think that I, what i see is that you know we that i what i'd love to see is for the academy to continue to take lessons from secondary school teachers undergraduate teachers you know veterinary instruct, school instructors right looking out and saying where are the biggest gains being made in pedagogy to actually teaching and reaching students right and then how can we apply that into our into our kind of remote or online distance learning because i think that's really i think the folks who are having the biggest impact are taking that next step so they're saying, okay, I now know how to Zoom my class. I can kind of recreate the lecture, but now it's a question, yeah, but but why Why do that? Like, <laughs> let's take what's worth, let's take the strongest things about that we, we know when Socratic works, when it's done really well, it's rarely done very well, and then figure out how can we, you know, pr- bring in, I think we talked to, about assessment when we were off offline, you know, we, we know now um, that this model of giving feedback only once, you know, at, at the end of, this, of um, a semester, you know, I mean, the data just showed that this is, there are more effective ways to teach. We can tap into those. How, how exciting is it? I mean, I'm excited for future law students, you know, who are gonna be, benefit from from all of these advances. And they're not necessarily technological advances, right? It's kind of like, it really is about kind of, becoming better teachers and recognizing the value in that because I think there's a little bit of hazing that feels like, well, this is how I learned CivPro. So you're gonna learn CivPro the same way the same way. And there's somehow and in the and in that, you're in that, you know, in the gestalt, you'll learn to think like a lawyer, right? But frankly, you know, wouldn't we be better off being better communicators and teaching our, you know, our would-be attorneys to in turn be better communicators, you know, more learn teach them how to persuade, inform, connect. Right, in ways that are going to be uh, more relevant and practical for them in their legal careers. So that's what I want to see. I mean, I, and that's that's what I get excited about when you know. And I, um, I was listening to your. I was like, oh, we, we need to talk about that virtual boot camp because I have to, um, one of my favorite uh, communities to work with are pre-law students, right? And yeah. uh, and uh, law school applicants to kind of show them that you know they can make huge kind of production value increases and how they show up in video interviews for job interviews for summer associate positions right without having to spend money it's really about learning how to harness light how to isolate sound right That there these are things that that um ultimately it's like i feel like i'm, I'm like staging a little revolution right? <laughs> a little like, like we can we can all you too can have a zoom corner right like you know what I mean? if you've got That's a corner, right. we can we can make it work for you so i look at all of this too as like a great um I don't know, maybe the leveling of the playing field. I'd like that a lot. And
1: I think you're right. I think as long as we can make sure that our students have the, uh, the same access to the tools. Um, but, you know, as you indicated, you can have a $35 speaker, you can have a hundred dollar speaker. Um, we can make those things available to students to check out and things like that, or have those rooms available in our schools. Um, that's uh That's really important. I think it will level the playing field in a lot of ways. And um, that's exciting. Now I'm going to have to find a way to have you come talk to students about that. So
0: I will come come to
1: you. You You know what? We'll just come to you.
0: (laughs) I would love it. I would love it. It's interesting what our colleagues are doing. I worked with the law school to set up, like, actually, to just fit out their interview rooms so that they would be kind of Zoom interview. Um, maximized, you know, and it was really interesting. And it was, and, and students appreciated it. And it was the idea that, you know, gosh, I, Maybe I'm not comfortable kind of doing this on my own, right? But being able to plug into a place where I can plug and play in the career center and, you know, it, I can book this room for an hour and a half and do all my interviews, right? And the, I know that I'm not going to worry about lighting. I'm going to be able to use their headset. I'm going to, you know, the, the laptop can the webcam is going to be at the optimal setting, right? And all of these things, frankly, this is, these are just skills. These are now like life skills that are going to be so useful uh, to our future attorneys. Well, Patty, thank you so much for having me. Oh, this thank is
1: great. You. All right, we're going to have another episode. We're just going to have to, but um, I really appreciate your time. And I've learned a lot and I know that uh, the people who are listening have. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Patty. This has been another episode of Ed Up Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. EdUp Legal is part of the EdUp Experience podcast network bringing you the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. Here at EdUp, we make education your business.